God has more blessings to give families than families have room to receive his blessings. God says, prove me now herewith if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Jacob had seen this kind of blessing in a home. And who could blame him for wanting the blessing that he had seen on his grandfather Abraham? Today, the word blessing has been so trivialized, it just doesn't have much meaning. When people sneeze, we say, God bless you. Um, don't even think about it. But in the Bible, God's blessing is a big deal. God's blessing of Job was so great that Satan himself could only complain about it. He said, hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house? Hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance has increased in the land? Jacob wanted this big blessing. He wanted the blessing of Abraham. This blessing had set Abraham apart in his family. He was a friend of God. His encampment was the headquarters of God's work on earth. Kings dared not touch Abraham or his wife. Abraham's flocks were healthy. His gardens produced bountifully. His family was happy. And at the end of Abraham's life, he passed this blessing on to Isaac. He placed his hands on Isaac's head, and he blessed Isaac, Jacob's dad. With this blessing, Isaac had been set aside as God's friend. Isaac's home became the headquarters of God's work on this earth. Kings dared not harm him or his wife. His flocks were healthy. His gardens produced bountifully. His family was happy. Is it any wonder that Jacob sought this blessing? God designed that his blessing would be wanted. Hebrews 11.6, He that cometh to God must believe that. Say it with me. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith believes that God blesses. God wants to give this blessing to our homes. Before we begin, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study your word together about that which makes for godly parenting, godly homes, and godly blessings. I pray that you'll be right here, that your Holy Spirit will be poured out. Bring us an encouragement. Bring us information. And uh, may we be different, because we've been set aside as your special people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can open your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 11. I do have it on the screen. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom in all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. You're familiar with the story. After wide consultation with all the leaders of Israel, David had gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jerah. With great fanfare and celebration, David was bringing the ark nine miles from kirjath Jerem to Jerusalem on an ox cart. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But 
tragedy struck when the cart went over a rough spot in the road. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, or as the NASB puts it, his irreverence. And he died there beside the ark of God. The festivities of the occasion stopped immediately. Solemnity and fear swept over the concourse of people. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. He felt that God had overreacted. But what do you do if you think God just didn't handle the situation right? He didn't dare say anything. Um, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Undoubtedly, he thought of what happened to the three cities of the Philistines that had, had the ark of God. They'd suffered under his judgments. He must have thought of the judgments on the men of Beshemus who had irreverently lifted its coverings after it had been returned to um, Israel. He may have thought of the exclamation of the Israelites during their wilderness wanderings, number 1713 from the New Living. Everyone who even comes close to the tabernacle of the Lord dies. David felt it may be dangerous to have the ark in Jerusalem lest God's judgments come on that city. And he decided the safest thing to do would be just to leave it right where it was. He looked for a place where the ark could be stored, and for a second time in the ark's history, it was with a family. The nearby home of the Levite, Obedidim. God had overruled all these events so that the eyes of all Israel were on the family of Obed-Edom. What would happen if the ark of God was in the home? Would the family suffer God's judgments? Days passed. Then weeks. No tumors of fear, no infestation of rats, no mice, no fire flashed out and destroyed the people in the home. In fact, the opposite occurred. And just as it was clear within 10 days that Daniel's health was blessed by his obedience to the Lord, just so it was clear that God's blessing was on the home of Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord was in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord sent a blessing on Obed-Edom and all his family. The ark brought them, not a curse, but a blessing. And if we bring the ark of God into our homes, God will bless us just as he blessed Obed-Edom and his family. To understand the topic, we need to study more deeply into the ark. The ark was a gilded wooden box. The Bible refers to it by various names such as the ark of the Lord, the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, the ark of God's strength. It has so many names because it wasn't just an empty container. Paul tells us that it contained three objects, the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. On the side of the ark were the book of the law, the scrolls of the testimony, or the spirit of prophecy. 
that inspired instruction that God had given the prophet Moses to explain how the Ten Commandments can be applied to the life. Then the mercy seat was placed on the top of the ark to cover it. And on the mercy seat, two statutes of angels, cherubim were placed, and their wings arched over the top like a golden rainbow. The ark was heavy, and to aid in its transportation, two rods were placed on the side so that four men could carry it on their shoulders. The ark served as God's portable headquarters for his work on this earth. It was his portable throne where he met and sat in judgment. From here, he issued his instruction to the leaders of Israel. Note what God told Moses to do about the ark, Exodus 25, 22. There I will do what? Meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. For a few months, Obed-Edom's modest home became God's palace where his earthly throne was located. His home became the place where God met with man. And ever after, Odebedim and his family would regard those three months as the highlight of their experience of life. Imagine being entrusted with the very tables of hewn stone, with the law of God that God's own finger, his, his own handwriting had written, the scrolls that Moses himself wrote, the golden pot filled with the actual manna from the wilderness, still fresh after centuries, reminding us of God's sustaining of our daily needs. And then Aaron's rod, still with blossoms and fruit, reminding of the fact that God chooses our leaders. But it was more than the precious artifacts that came with the ark. When the ark came through Obed-Edom's doorway, Obed-Edom's home became a little bit of heaven. Heavenly angels guarded that sacred chest, and they came through the door with the ark. Jesus himself entered the home of Odom-Edom, and the family of Obed-Edom lived in the very presence of God. Has Jesus been invited to enter your home? Is your family living in the presence of God? Has the ark come into your home, bringing its blessings? Is there a place in your home where God meets with you and communicates with you? All Israel beheld the blessings that came to Obed-Edom's family. The story of Obed-Edom is in the Bible preserved so that we can know what God's desire is for every Christian home and every Christian family. Ellen White said, Frequently I receive letters from individuals telling me of their troubles and perplexities and asking me to inquire of God as to what is their duty. To those for whom the Lord has given me no light, I have often replied, I have not been appointed by God to do such a work as you asked me to do. 
The Lord Jesus has invited you to bring your troubles to one who understands every circumstance of your life. God wants us to have communication with him about our lives, our perplexities, our troubles, our decisions. Is the ark blessing your home? Is your home a headquarters for God's work in your community? God intends for our home to be a little heaven here on this earth. Notice this quotation from Adventist Home. The sweetest type of heaven is a home where the Spirit of the Lord presides. It doesn't get any better in heaven. This is the sweetest kind of heaven there is. And the ark was a miniature heaven. It shows us how our homes can be little heavens. And the ark made the home of Obed-Edom a sanctuary, a place for God to dwell. God's desire is every home is a home where he loves to dwell. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I like how the Bible in basic English translates it. Let them make me a holy place so that I may be ever present among them. Or new living. I want the people of Israel to build me a sacred residence where I can live among them. God wants us to build our homes like the sanctuary was built so he can dwell with us. Our homes can be where God comes in, where his holy angels minister to us. Holiness can pervade our homes. Do you want your home to be a sanctuary where the ark of God can be placed and Jesus and the angels can dwell? Abraham had such a blessed home. So did Isaac and Jacob and Mary, Martha and Lazarus and Lois and Eunice and Timothy. Jesus' life on earth was an illustration of what is true of Jesus at all times. Desire of Ages 5.24. The Savior had no home of his own. It's true now. He was dependent on the hospitality of his friends. Would you read that with me? He was what? Dependent on the hospitality of his friends. Is your home hospitable to Jesus? He's depending on our hospitality. It's not just that we want Jesus in our homes. He wants to be in our homes. Our Savior appreciated a quiet home. And interested listeners, he longed for human tenderness, courtesy, and affection. Those who received the heavenly instruction he was always ready to impart were greatly blessed. Now, I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to speak to someone that is present this morning or perhaps listening on the recording. There's someone about to tune this out because they recognize they are in a situation that's far from ideal. Perhaps there's a serious problem in their marriage or with their children. But God's word is not sent to drive us to despair. It is to open a door of hope for us. If this is your situation, please listen to me. God's blessing is not reserved for ideal homes. His blessing is for real homes where serious mistakes have been made. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all made serious mistakes. Abraham went through a difficult divorce and the loss of child custody. Isaac's firstborn Esau apostatized and married outside the church. Jacob felt forced to marry a woman. He had a hard time learning to love. And some of his children were criminals with fornication, incest, murder, kidnapping even slave trading. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were single siblings living together. 
Lois and Eunice and her son Timothy were in a divided home with an unbelieving father. All the blessed people and all the blessed homes shared our struggle with evil heredity, evil habits, and evil circumstances. And the blessing these real people received is available for us. The real blessings. But the righteous which is of faith, righteousness which is of faith, speaketh on this wise, Paul said, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down from above. Don't imagine that these blessings are somehow out of your reach. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. The blessing is for whosoever will. It's not the goodness of Abraham that earned the blessing of God. It was the goodness of God that offered Abraham the blessings of heaven. The way of this world is to earn what you get and get what you earn, but that's not the way of God. He reveals his way through the family. Two and a half years ago, my oldest daughter, Rachel, was pregnant for the first time. How she and Eric, our son-in-law, looked forward to that child, Amy Ann, and how Amy Ann's grandparents looked forward to the arrival of that grandchild. Finally, Amy Ann arrived, and how we all loved that baby. We were traveling, my wife and I were traveling on the road down to Florida when she arrived. But because of the wonders of technology, within seconds, the pictures were snapped and texted to us, and we saw our grandchild. When that child was born, there was joy in the entire family with everyone calling everyone and all excited and getting all the details. Now, what did Amy Ann do to deserve the love of her mother, her father, her grandmas, and her grandpas. Nothing except to be born into the family. Do you want God's blessing? Be born into his family. That's why Jesus urges us to be born again. When that happens, there's joy with the angels texting each other throughout heaven and snapping pictures for the photo album that they are preparing for us when we arrive. There's another person who's listening who says, I would love the blessings of the ark, but I'm a nobody. Of course God could bless Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, but they were gifted. I'm not. But consider that Obed-Edom, who we were looking at, was not a prominent Levite. He had the lowliest of the temple jobs. He was a doorkeeper, a porter in the temple. Perhaps recalling Obed-Edom, David later sang, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This humble sanctuary doorkeeper gladly welcomed the ark into his modest home. And the ark was a blessing, a real blessing in his house. God wants to bless your family, however humble and unimportant they may seem. How do we get the ark with its blessing into our home? Let's look at the ark again. 
You remember the ark is a container for the law. There's no blessings in an empty ark in your home. Now, how do we get the law into our home? There were a lot of messages that God sent through prophets, but the law was so important that God spoke it and wrote it himself. It was his voice that said each word in public. It was his finger that with excellent handwriting wrote each word in private. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. In the sign language of the Bible, the mount where Moses climbed represented our special place of prayer. We're alone with God, we speak to him, and he speaks to us. Moses alone, God said, shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses was to have a quiet time alone with God. His closest friends were not to be present. His children were not to be present. Not even his wife was to be present. Through Moses, God was showing the special, exclusive relationship that he desires with everyone. Just as there must be special times when a husband and a wife are alone, together, with each other, no one else present, nothing else intruding, there must be special times where we are alone with God. David called this place of seclusion the secret place of the Most High. Jesus referred to this secret place. He said, when you go, when you pray, go into your most private room and closing the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Our special place for prayer doesn't have to be a big place. It just needs to be a private place. This is a special place where everything else is shut out. And we can pray out loud, but only God can hear us. Mount of Blessing, 84. Have a place for secret prayer. Jesus had select places for communion with God, and so should we. We need often to retire to some spot, however humble, where we can be alone with God. I think of my father. When I was growing up, whenever he moved, he was a, a minister, so we would move from time to time. The first thing that he would locate would be where his prayer spot was going to be. And there, every morning, rain or shine, hot or cold, summer or winter, snowing, my dad would leave the house while it was still dark and go to that place and pray. From this mount, my father would receive instruction and help from God and then communicate God's guidance to us. Even as a child, I recognized my father was guided by God. And a few times when he preached, it seemed like to me I could see his forehead glow. I knew where his places of prayer were. He had taken me there, and I knew his daily time of prayer. Daniel's enemies knew his location of prayer, and they knew his time of prayer. Jesus' betrayer knew Jesus' place of prayer and time of prayer. Husbands and fathers, 
Do you have a private place and time for prayer? Wives and mothers, do you have a private place and time of prayer? And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and a commandment which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Our secret place of prayer is not about only us, but it's to prepare us for ministry for God. It's interesting, when Jesus told his disciples to pray and go into the secret place of prayer, and then he gave them a prayer to pray, what was the first thing that they did and said in secret to God? They were alone, but they said, Our Father. Their thoughts weren't self-centered, but they were outward-focused. Like Moses, do you go into the mount alone with God and there receive the law from him that you can teach them to your children? Have you spent extended time in prayer and careful study of the scriptures, the spirit of prophecy, and received guidance from God for your home? It is from the mount alone with God that we receive instruction to make our homes a sanctuary. Letter 134, 1901, we're told, pray as did Daniel three times a day, alone with God. Confess every sin you've committed, every mistake you've made. This secret place of prayer, this private room with the door closed, this closet of prayer is essential, not only for the husband and the father, but the ark must be brought into the home for our whole family, wife and children. Notice this from a youth instructor. Jesus knows the needs of children, and he loves to listen to their prayers. Let the children shut out the world and everything that would attract the thoughts from God. Let them feel that they are alone with God, that his eye looks into the inmost heart and reads the desire of the soul and that they may talk with God. Have you there in the mount received instruction to have a home where Jesus can dwell? In sermons and talks, Ellen White said, we do not pray half enough in our families and alone with God. We cannot have the ark in our home without the law of God. This isn't some do's and don'ts on tables of stone. This is God's law applied by the Spirit to our lives, accompanied with a delight to do it. Do you want to know if his law is in your heart? Matthew 12, 34, that's an easy one to remember, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if our hearts have been meditating on the law of, of God, what will our mouths say? And these words, Deuteronomy 6, 6, which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and then, then thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. But God's law was not the only item in the ark. Is the golden pot of manna in your home? The manna was God's miraculous, sustaining food for the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. It represents the word of God, which sustains us every day. It represents the import, port, 
importance of our daily blessings. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. It represents the importance of sharing. You remember that the children of Israel, they had 50 different places where they camped during their 40 years of wilderness wandering. And some places were up where manna didn't fall very much. In some places where they camped, they'd have extra. And so as they shared it with their neighbors, sometimes they were the recipients, sometimes they were the givers. But everybody shared and they all had sufficient. It represents that. It also reminds us of the Sabbath. It reminds us of Jesus, the bread of life that came down from heaven. The Lord wants us to have that daily manna. Is the manna in our homes? Can your family say, thy word was found and I did eat them? Thy words. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Have you with David found God's word to be sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb? Is your experience with God new every morning? Or has the scripture become stale and wormy? Is the word of God daily fresh and sweet and nourishing your family? Um, my wife often would fix food, but it was always fresh. Um, and God has convicted me of the need for me to always fix fresh food for my family from scriptures. Is Aaron's budding rod in your home? Following Korah, Dathan, and Abiram's rebellion, Aaron's rod budded miraculously to affirm God's structure of authority. Number 1710, the Lord said unto Moses, bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. Are we in rebellion or are we under authority? You know, there's rebellion in the air we breathe. And there's rebellion that would even push in to the church. We must not have rebellion in our homes, rebellion in our hearts. Are we murmuring and complaining about anything in our lives? Is Aaron's rod in our home reminding us to be thankful for church and civil leaders? Today, the newspapers are filled with complaints about presidents or people running for president. And it wouldn't matter who it was. If Jesus was running, there'd be great complaints about him. But in 1 Timothy 2.1, we read, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Are you praying every day in your home for Ted Wilson, the president of the General Conference? Are you praying for your governor and for the president? Is the spirit of prophecy in your home? Do you have the books? Volume 5, 681, the volumes of Spirit of Prophecy. That was the precursors to the conflict of the ages. So today we'd say the volumes of the conflict of the ages. And also the testimonies should be introduced into, what's that next word? Every Sabbath-keeping family. 
and the brethren should know their value and be urged to read them. Could I tell you a little story? When I met Sherry, my wife, um, I went into her home, and she had the volumes of the Spirit of Prophecy across the shelf. She even had some volumes I didn't have. And um, uh, I knew immediately that this home and that single girl had some valuable habits. And um, it, it proved to be a good clue as to her character. Are you reading the Spirit of Prophecy? Many are going directly contrary to the light which God has given to his people because they do not read the books which contain the light and knowledge and cautions, reproofs, and warnings. This was so important that it was included in Volume 4 as well. This was copied from Volume 4 twice, uh, put in the testimonies. Above the law, the nourishing word, the spirit of prophecy, the rod of authority, was the mercy seat where Christ sits. The Greek word for mercy seat is place of forgiveness. Is the mercy seat the place of forgiveness in your home? Is your home a place of mercy and forgiveness? Are you quick to seek forgiveness when you're wrong? Are you quick to be forgiving when others hurt you? Are you gentle to others? Are you approachable? Is the mercy seat in your home? Are the angels in your home? Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. The home that is beautified by love, sympathy, and tenderness is a place that angels love to visit where God is glorified. I want to have that kind of home, don't you? To us. In the common walks of life, Heaven may be very near. Angels from the courts above will attend the steps of those who come and go at God's commands. Every home should be a place of love, a place where the angels of God abide, working with softening, subduing influences upon the hearts of parents and children. Angels stay where love stays. With the presence of Jesus came the presence of peace. When Jesus would go into a home, he would say peace to this home. And when he enters our homes, he says peace to us. God designed that the home of Odin and Edom would be a sample of every Christian home. Is the ark with its blessing of peace in your home? The blessings that God wants to bestow on our homes will not stop with blessed homes. They will flow through our homes to the church we attend and the community where we live. Malachi 3.12, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God measures church members by what they are in the home. When Christ's words are obeyed in the home, the influence extends to the church. Do you want to know the real condition of the home? 
Look at the condition of the church, and you'll know. Um, you'll see it in the reflection. The style of music in the home will come to be the style of music in the church. The diet of the home will be reflected in the potlucks and noted in the board decisions. The dress of the home will influence the dress of the church. Satan's key to the church is the home. And we can pray and talk about revival in the church, but it cannot come without revival in the home. That's why proper home management is listed as a requisite for church leadership. One that ruleth well his own home, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? God wants us to be faithful in the little responsibilities before he that is faithful in little is faithful also in much. Luke 16.10. It continues, Grieve not the Spirit of God from your home by what? An unchristlike course of action. Work the works of Christ in the home. Then your lamp, burning brightly and clearly, will give light to those in darkness. How can we begin to be effective in our ministry in the world? How can we share Christ in the marketplace? God wants us to learn how to do that by effectively sharing Christ in our home marketplace. Until we know how to attract our children to Jesus, how can we know how to attract fellow church members to Jesus? And until we know how to attract fellow church members to Jesus, how can we attract our fellow employees to Jesus? The first work of Christians is to be what? United in the family. Without being united in the family, we will never be effective in our outreach to neighbors. I have having a deepening conviction on the importance of being united. We heard it, uh, those of you who heard uh, Elder Wilson and uh, Elder Finley last night speak of the importance of united church. But united churches begin with united homes. The first work of Christians is to be, say it with me, united in the family. The happiness, uh, excuse me, um, I don't have this on the screen, I just realized. Let me read Adventist Home 84. The happiness and prosperity of the married life depend on the unity of the parties. If we want to be happy in our married life, we must be united, right? Satan does everything he can to divide families. We must have unity. Paul says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Notice uh, Adventist Home continues, after we're united in the family, the next word is what? Then the work is to extend to their neighbors nigh and afar off. After home unity, the work extends to the neighbors. And notice the expression of who our neighbor is, those nigh and far off. 
Now, our neighbor is not limited to the person next door, but the person who, by God's providence, is brought next to me. You know, I want to have this kind of blessed home, don't you? Now, I've asked Sherry if she would share with us some uh, uh, materials of practical value on how some of these thoughts can be done within a home setting. so valuable we want them in stereo. This is for recording. Thank you. I don't know how to put this I have been blessed to grow up in a home as my husband has been sharing with you. Less than two weeks ago we said goodbye to my father. It's very hard. He had, uh, I knew that from the day I was born until he breathed his last, he was praying for me every day. Can you hear her back there? What? Um, let me figure out a better way to do this. I want to be out of her way, though. He himself had come from a home that was very difficult. Do you want to hold it? Yeah. Sure. But he had made it his purposeful goal to bring the Ark of God into the into his family that he began. And as we were saying goodbye to him, I was thinking of the legacy that he was leaving me. This might be better. There were three areas that I especially thank God for giving me through my father. One was his total commitment to morning and evening worship. I knew he and Mother had their own private devotions, and I can't tell you enough how great an impact that had on me as a young child, to wake up and see the light on under their doors and know that they were on their knees, that their Bible was open, um, that the spirit of prophecy was there being fed upon even before I was up. And like the laws of the Medes and Persians, we had worship no matter what was happening as a family, every morning and every evening. That was a wonderful legacy. Um, I knew, secondly and thirdly, that he valued and loved the Word of God and the spirit of prophecy. He, they, Mother and Daddy both recognized that God gave us a very special gift through the inspired writings of Ellen White for the end time generation in particular. And it was their purpose to not just read it, but to live it. When we came back, my parents were in overseas service for about 20 years. And when we came back home, um, a lot of the uh, generation, children that I had grown up with, I was shocked that so many of them were leaving the church and just drifting off. And I tried to understand what, what factor was different. And I came to the conclusion that the biggest difference was in the home where uh, families that 
loved the Bible, loved the spirit of prophecy, and lived it, and the ones who saw it as inconsequential. That, that was um, the one factor that I, I recognized made a huge difference. And I would urge you to make these front center of everything that you do. And I'm sure that you already are. Well, having, um, having tools to assist us is a wonderful thing. And I'm just going to share with you some of the materials that uh, we have through our ministry of My Bible First in helping families to establish a strong foundation of family worship, of helping their children to come to love the, uh, the law of the Lord, His Word, the uh, prophet that he's given us. And I think I'll need my husband to help me so I can hold some things while he's holding the mic here. Uh, how many of you are familiar with my Bible First ministry? Okay, so I may be talking to the choir here. <laughs> but I will show you just briefly some of the materials that if you're not already familiar with them, um, you may find them helpful in your work with your own children, or if you're working in a ministry where children are involved, or you have grandchildren. Um, first and foremost, our ministry is, seeks to help families bring their children into the Word of God. We have lessons that take them through every level, from the cradle roll right on up through to the youth now. That is our newest... Uh, level of lessons. And each, each lesson is designed to assist in family worships. Um, they're divided into daily sections with Bible texts all through the lessons that have to be looked up as they're being studied. For children who are already reading, it's an excellent way to help them learn to have their own personal devotions. And this is something you want to help your children learn as soon as possible. Each section is not very long. It might take five minutes or less. Of course, you can expand it to take much longer if you want to. Um, it's, an, it's a beautiful way to help lay down a very solid foundation because they, they begin with the Genesis, actually before Genesis, with who God is and and how sin came into the world, um, the fall of Lucifer, and then it goes into the Genesis story. By the time the children are done, uh, they have the picture of the great controversy and the plan of salvation. Our children have to understand this great controversy story. They have to understand God's wonderful plan of salvation and where they fit into it. I especially like to mention the junior level lessons. Um, they not only go through the great controversy story as, as it is from Genesis to Revelation, but they continue on uh, beyond the book of Acts, uh, helping them understand how the apostasy came into the church, the great Reformation history, and then the rise of the Advent movement. When they finish their lessons, they've gone through every single book of the Bible. 
They've gone through all the prophecies, the sanctuary. Um, they understand why they are Seventh-day Adventist Christians with a message to share to the world. God's second book, the book of nature. We also have some beautiful materials to assist families in opening that book to their children where they are um, gaining object lessons from what they see around them, very beautifully illustrated, capturing their attention and helping them to see God's world and the messages that he has there for them. We have it in several different different forms, um, and that has been a very delightful thing for not only Sabbath schools, but for families in their, their worship time. Something that has been really delightful in uh, assisting in family worships in the Sabbath schools, and uh, I've really enjoyed watching this in my own daughter's home, where she has a four-month-old and, and a just two-year-old. And that is using uh, music to implant uh, the principles of, of uh, character of, in, in their hearts. It's, it's a wonderful way, because music will come back to the mind more easily than any other avenue of learning. And so we have a, a number of visualized songs that, that teach character qualities through music for the children. And the little ones who aren't reading yet, they, they sing by the words. And the older ones, they love to read the words as they're singing. My two-year-old, she just, I hear her constantly going, snatch. she usually does the pot, what I call the potluck song. She'll take a little snatch from five or six of her favorite songs and sing them all together one after the other. And uh, it's just beautiful. We have hymns trying to get the beautiful hymns and their messages in their hearts, holy, 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 in our kindergarten Sabbath school. The uh, two little boys especially, they, this is one of their favorites, and they just, they now understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because we stop and we take time to talk about each phrase of the song, and uh, they, just, they just love it. Um, we talked about the law of God being in the home. Uh, many of our children don't even know uh, the Ten Commandments, something that every child should be able to repeat at a very young age. Uh, so we have the Ten Commandments given phrase by phrase, uh, helping the children to understand God's law. And in the back, then, is a little expansion on each commandment to help them, uh, the parent or the teacher, to give it a little extra expansion. We have a small size. We also have the larger size. One of our, uh, uh, one of our employees has some little ones at home. He uses the large one every day. They, they talk about the commandments. And the child is holding her little one while he's showing it from the larger one. Those children are learning the law of God and it's going into their hearts and they're understanding it in a very deep way. You know, it's interesting. Uh, 
there are two things that the children of Israel were told to put on their doorposts. The first thing that they were to put on their doorpost um, as they left Egypt, but just before, uh, on the Passover, what were they to put on their doorpost? The blood. And then the next thing they were told to put on their doorpost was the law. Some people think the blood does away with the law, but the two go hand in hand. It's the blood that makes it possible for us to love and, uh, and keep God's law. Law and the blood and the law on our doorpost. Amen. There are many, many books out there on child training. And, uh, you know, how do you select one book? You really can't because they all have something good in them. The most wonderful ones I hope you all have on your shelves at home and in your hearts are Adventist Home and Child Guidance. Um, my daughter's making it her, her goal to read through Child Guidance every year. And she's discovering that as her little one is growing, uh, every time she reads Child Guidance, she sees new things that she didn't see the time before. <laughs> And I would encourage you to do that. Don't ever stop reading those books. The counsel in there is, is absolutely wonderful. If you're looking for a little jump start to uh, what I call the jump start to child guidance, this little book called Child Training Tips. It's very easy reading, um, but it lays out a very clear uh, grid, if you want to call it that, foundation of what you're aiming for and what are your goals as a parent. And then ask uh, questions that makes it very easy to see whether you're achieving those goals. And uh, when I first got this, my children were a little bit older. So we just sat down together uh, and we went through the book together. And we had a really good time and they enjoyed it. And they've all read it again since then because it was so helpful and so practical. There uh, are so many, when you have, God gives us the principles, and then he gives us the wisdom to know how to apply those principles to our children. Every child is different. Uh, our three children each had a completely different approach in, in ra being raised. The basic foundation principles were there, but our approach of applying each one to each child was different. And so to try and give you uh, this is what you should do may be helpful to some of you, may not be. But if you get, as you get these principles in your mind, then on your knees, ask God how to apply those to each one of your children. The author is Reb Bradley. He's written some other books. Uh, someone was just telling me, I, I believe it was you, was telling me of another book he's written that is uh, very helpful. What was the name of that again? Uh, one, one is, I'm putting this here for, here, Reaching the Hearts of Children, and the other is Six Blind Spots of Homeful School Families. Thank you for that. We... Uh, we have all of these materials at our My Bible First booth, which is 620. And if you think any of these would be helpful to you, it's our passion to assist families and Sabbath schools to be able to reach the hearts of children. 
uh, we just, any, any way we can be of, of help to you, uh, we'd love to do that. I also have some sample packets here. If any of you would like to have one, just come up afterwards. I'd be very happy to give one to you. It has a sample of every level of lesson and uh, some of our other materials that we have available. Uh, if this will assist you in, in your family worships, your per children's personal devotions, or if you're working with children in a Sabbath school, uh, hopefully they'd be a real blessing to you. There's a question. Thank you. That, Thank you. You're welcome. The, uh, just, uh, there's a comment from the audience of uh, someone using them in Bangladesh uh, with their orphanages and uh, finding them very helpful. Uh, any other uh, questions or comments that uh, you'd have while the expert is up here? That's my wife. And I see other experts here in the audience. Yes. Yes, that's uh, uh, 620, 620, aisle 600, number 20. And other good material you'll find uh, uh, is uh, includes um, uh, Young Disciple with mm -hmm. Great Camps and uh, the Young Disciple uh, Journal, all these that can strengthen your, your homes and your mm -hmm. churches. The question here is, should we, uh, do we recycle uh, those to send them overseas? You know, we, uh, I don't think that we have, but that's a great idea. We should. Actually, overseas, we have mostly translation being done right now so that uh, countries are getting them in their own languages. Uh, most exciting has been the work in China, where all the lessons now have been translated into Chinese. They've uh, just except for a Mandarin, just except for a few, uh, little bit of layout design on a couple of the levels, they're, they're essentially in print. We were able to print some out here. They'll be printing them out there soon. We'll be going over with some workshops and uh, teaching them how to have Sabbath school for their children. Also in Cambodia, Vietnam. Uh, and let, other, let me just and say something about the Cambodian one is that actually they did it endogenously, and it's actually nicer than ours. It's beautiful. Um, so we, we learn from, uh, from uh, the, the ones that are creative and translating them overseas. No, but uh, we do have um, a mission phase of My Bible First called Children's Bible Lessons International. And we have sent materials over when we've had access materials or materials that have been changed slightly and, and we're needing to get rid of the others, we have sent them overseas. So if you find you have a need somewhere or know of a need, let us know in any way we can help. We'd love to do that. Yes. We, uh, we do get requests uh, right now, particularly over in Africa, and the suggestion here is, which, which uh, is a great suggestion, adopting a family mm -hmm. and then when you're done with them, sending them on to that family. We haven't done that, but I like the idea. Absolutely. And uh, I need to put these ideas down. If you had a daughter that's like that, you can 
That, that's a great idea. Thank so we'd, uh, 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 we should probably uh, work on that through our mm -hmm. children's ministries into international. In, thank you. Any other uh, questions or comments? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, we'd like to. We've had uh, some, uh, it's, a, uh, it's interesting, we've had some difficulties. We've translated some, uh, but not all. We've had a translator, and then uh, you can tell us the details on Spanish. We do have the primary level and the creator role in Spanish, and kindergarten is in progress. Um, we were promised it would be done months and months ago, and now we're still probably a year out. So... Uh, it's very difficult to find someone who can just give their full attention to translation. If they're doing it along with other projects, it does not happen very quickly, <laughs> unfortunately. And, uh, you know, you do it as you have means that come in. So as a ministry, we, we do what we can. And this year, um, one, of the, um, one of the ministries that will be supported by ASI, you'll see there's Children's Ministries International, that's for translations. Any others? All right. Well, thank you for being such a, an attentive uh, group. Sherry, do you have any other thoughts before we pray? Uh, just if you would like, we do have some materials on the back table that you're welcome to pick up. And we just thank you so much for coming and pray for all of you in the whatever area of work with young people and children you're in. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll help us, whatever our home situation, give our own hearts to you, develop a close personal walk with you, and then from that walk, learn to share you with our spouse, our children, as you open the way, and then expand our ministry as we learn in the school of the home to be like Jesus and to share Him in our marketplace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.